today for the message that we're going to have. If you have your Bibles, be turning to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. We're continuing our Heart Issues sermon series. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you to HBF virtually. Uh, it's, uh, you know, every week we have our, our dear uh, members, uh, I don't want to say all the names, but you know who you are, and we appreciate you tuning in, and we're still praying and uh, staying connected uh, the best that we can. So uh, by God's grace, you're encouraged today in the Lord. We have a lot of folks out today. Be praying for the, uh, the camp as the uh, high school camp is out today, the junior high and high school. We have a lot of young people that are not with us uh, today, so, and a lot of counselors and so on and so forth. So be praying for them. They're having church this morning at Camp Kersey, and then they'll be um, making their way back later this uh, this afternoon. So uh, be praying for them, and appreciate uh, Luke and, and Brenda and all the counselors and all the adults that went with them. That was a, quite an endeavor uh, this weekend, so praise God for that. And uh, man, uh, I'm just, I, we had a, I had a busy week. I was out of town at the Certainty Conference out in Ohio. That was a good time. And a lot of great things happening. People getting saved, people getting discipled, and that's what it's all about. And one of the things that we want to do here at Heartland is make sure that the things that we do engage the heart. And so I've been going through a sermon series called Heart Issues, and uh, just taking several topics that relate to the, our heart and, and breaking those out. So today I want to talk about grace over guilt. Uh, grace over guilt. We live in a culture today that uh, sometimes uh, people are wanting to um, you know, lay guilt trips, and sometimes people are under legitimate guilt. I'm going to give you some definition on that. By the way, I didn't mention, if you are watching online, we also have a lot of people joining us that have uh, no, uh, have never been here, uh, and you, maybe you don't want to comment on the text box. I need to mention, we do have a text line. It's 816-260-5834. You can text to that line, 816-260-5834, 816-260-5834. You can text to that line. And uh, you can connect with us privately uh, if you have a need, you need some prayer, you have a need in your life. And so we'll, uh, we'll definitely get back with you and make a connection there. And so this morning, uh, as you're turning to uh, the Bible, if you don't have one, uh, we're going to be in Romans 8, verse 1. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack uh, in front of you. If you're in one of those rows without a rack in front of you, you can maybe reach up to the row in front of you and grab a, a Bible. We're going to be on page uh, 1509, 1509. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to mention that on May 3rd in 1945, it's been a couple years ago, uh, it was the day before the Germans surrendered in World War II, the German transport ship uh, Cap Arcana, uh, Thielbeck, and, the, and Deutschland came under attack by Typhoon fighter bombers by the, the uh, Royal Air Force, that'd be Great Britain's Air Force. And all three ships were sunk in the, in the Baltic Sea by bombs and rockets and cannon fire. But unbeknown to the, the pilots, um, those ships were filled with concentration camp survivors as well as allied prisoner of war, um, uh, prisoners of war. So many of the, the men that were transporting them were the SS um, guards uh, that were on the ship. They were rescued uh, by German uh, trawlers that were in the area. But the prisoners were left on the, the, uh, the ships to sink. And so uh, while other survivors that did try to get out and, and swim to shore were shot as they were trying to escape, uh, it's estimated that almost 10,000 concentration, concentration camp survivors were killed in that attack. And um, for many, the most painful part of the war uh, is events like that. It's not dying, it's surviving, uh, you know, 
and dealing with the regret of seeming the, of things that you cannot seemingly rectify or see reversed. Can you imagine um, those royal those Royal Air Force pilots? How they would have felt once they realized ten thousand you know innocent uh, people and prisoners of war uh, just perished at their hand. Of course, that all they were doing was their job. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were doing what they thought was right. They had the right type of ship. And and if you study um, um, that sort of thing, I've, I've actually looked into several. There are so many accounts of friendly fire in the history of war. Uh, anytime there's a war, there's friendly fire and there's innocent people killed. And, and every time that the guilt and the pain and the suffering of those that survived, those that, that maybe were at the helm of that, uh, of that airplane or what have you, bombing runs that go bad, uh, there's several accounts, if you ever take the time to look into it, that it's just a heavy, heavy thing to deal with that kind of guilt. And so many who survive traumatic experiences like combat often experience what they call survivor's guilt. Have many of you ever heard of that, survivor's guilt? Yeah. It's, uh, it's living through something that you probably figured you should have died and you lost your friends and your loved ones. And a lot of people who uh, have been in combat deal with survivor guilt. They feel guilty that they survived. And so uh, in the movie made about Oscar Schindler uh, and his efforts to save 1,100 Jews from concentration camps through employment in his factories in World War II, the final scene reveals the emotion of a man who struggles with the guilt of knowing what it could, could have been done if he would have just saved one more life. I want to go ahead and roll that clip. Many of you have probably seen it. We have written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. There are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I'd made more money, <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea. If I just... I will give generations because of what you did. 
still enough. You did so much. This car. Good, what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. A person who stands. For this. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. <laughs> How many of you have seen that clip before? Because probably several of you have. Some of you haven't. Um, you know, it's a... That actually, the, the gentleman that represents the Jew that helped him uh, manage the plant looks remarkably similar to the actual man that was uh, in real life. I was checking into the pictures. But Oscar Schindler, for those of you that don't know, was a, probably, is the, probably, I think, the only Nazi that's buried in, in, in Israel. I, I think it's probably in Jerusalem, but definitely in Israel. He's buried there because he saved 1,100 families. And, of course, uh, the nation of Israel is uh, thankful to him to this day. And uh, he did that, of course, uh, underneath the nose of the uh, Nazi party, of which he was a part of. And so at the end of that clip, you know, he realizes, and it sets in on him, the gravity uh, and the reality that he's like, man, I wish I would have done more. And he had that, that, you know, almost a guilty conscience that he didn't give more. And if you live long enough uh, in this life, you will experience the pain of sin and death and the reality and the subsequent guilt that follows you know, I, I think many of you maybe have seen Pastor Mark Trotter's depiction of the judgment seat of Christ. If you haven't, you need to you need to check that out. We have in the library. I think someone returned it recently, so we still got the old-fashioned uh, DVD. Uh, it's worth checking out and watching uh, his depiction of the judgment seat of Christ. He does a tremendous job of capturing the pain of a Christian at the judgment seat of Christ as they consider and realize what they've squandered in regard to God's grace. And so, like Schindler, the terror of the judgment seat of Christ is considered... Uh, is something that we should be considering. Uh, and I pray that nobody, uh, including myself, would get to the judgment seat of Christ and go, man, I wish I'd have done more, right? We, we come to church not just to come to church. We come here to get equipped so that we can go. We, we do discipleship at this church. We're really we're moving forward. We're not having ritual time. We're trying to accomplish God's mission uh, for his glory, right, and his power. Our mission here is to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God. Um, uh, for the glory of God, and we got to do that in His power. So, so you know, regret and shame is one of the things that can definitely sabotage your forward progress because there's not one of us that doesn't deal with that. And uh, I can remember I was thinking back on the first times I felt regret. I was a little tiny kid, like a little one. When, when a, you, the, the, that that fog of guilt comes over you, you guys know what I'm talking about because we're all human. There's that there's that overwhelming shadow, and you're like, oh. So regret, shame, guilt, they're all common to all of us who live long enough because, well, we're not perfect. 
And the standard of righteousness is, well, it's God, and it is the Word of God. And that's why the Bible teaches us that we all fall short of God's glory. And therefore, the Bible says in James 4, 17, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is, it is sin. We know what it's like to cross that line, don't we? And we defile our own conscience. It doesn't matter if it's a, a white lie or a big thing like aborting a child or committing adultery or capital murder. Uh, sin is painful, right? And in our conscience, it all hurts and it's all painful. And, uh, and, and it hurts not only us, but it hurts God and it hurts other people. And so there's none righteous, the Bible says. There's not one. Uh, and so in that proclamation, uh, sincere-hearted people feel the sting of death because we know intuitively that it is true. That, and, and if there's any attempt to correct God's record, it reveals our own depravity and our own, conditional, uh, our own condition of sin. We know that it's true, that no one, is, uh, no one but God is really completely righteous and holy. We're not, we're just, we fall short. And you don't even have to be a Christian to acknowledge that. But that is the first thing you need to acknowledge if you want to be right with God. So what do you do when you're faced with guilt and shame? Well, man, I am glad you asked, because that's what we're here to talk about this morning. This morning, I want to speak to you about the topic of overcoming guilt with grace. I want, you, I want to speak about that, and I've asked you to turn to Act, or Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter uh, one, or 8, and we're going to look at verse 1, Romans 8 and verse 1. Pray for me that I get my wires crossed right up here and get it going. Uh, so Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, a very, very short read. I'll just go ahead and let you s- sit instead of stand this morning. Romans 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that that reality that Paul uh, writes here after a a long discourse in Romans 7 about the pain of the flesh and sin and all of those things and the condemnation that uh, are therewith. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would really embrace this morning the, the truth that there is no condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray your Spirit would teach us all things this morning. Lord, I pray that the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, would bring comfort to the heart that needs comforted. Lord, I pray conviction to the heart that needs convicted. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would be glorified in all that we do and we say this morning. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul wrote this after making some very strong statements about his own sinfulness in Romans chapter 7. All the way back in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul seems to have a very low, in a psychological term, self-esteem. And so if you're wanting to track with psychology in the Bible, turn that off, because we're just going to go with the Bible. Uh, I may offend you as we get started, because Paul, he doesn't have a low self-esteem. He, he's being honest, and he's, rectif- and he's, and he's uh, reconciling his sin nature uh, with the nature of Christ as he gets into Romans chapter 8, and thereby showing us how we have to do the same thing. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. He doesn't just say, Oh, wretched man that I am. He's screaming it. Exclamation point. Oh, wretched man that I am. You can imagine Paul just, uh, just crying out. Uh, and then he cries out further. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He hates the condition of his flesh that he's in. Oh, wretched man that I am. What a question. Uh, praise God, we don't need self-esteem. We need God-esteem. We need Christ-esteem. We need to have. We need to understand that Christ is our propitiation. He's our advocate for sin. 
And we suddenly see Paul, as we get into Romans chapter 8, turn the corner. But before he gets there, he really starts it. He gets on the, grace, uh, on the, the raceway of grace in Romans chapter 7 and verse 25. So if you look down at the end of that chapter, you'll see this. He says, I thank God through, through Christ, our, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I might myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So Paul does us a favor as he concludes Romans 7, and he reminds us that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing, but our mind and our hearts are redeemed by the, by, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and walk after the Spirit. So if you're saved, you're walking after the Spirit, and, you, and if you're not saved, you are definitely walking after the flesh. And you not only feel condemned, you are condemned. And I'm going to lay that out for you here in just a moment. And so... Um, the thing about this, though, in Romans chapter 8, is that we, if you're born again and you're part of the church, you're, you are a child of God. Romans 8 concludes by promising you that there's nothing that's able to separate you from the love of God. That's an absolute promise. There's nothing, not death, nothing that you've done, nothing that you're feeling guilty over, nothing. So the fundamental message that I have for you this morning is that if you are a child of God, uh, it's that you don't uh, serve God from a place of guilt, but a place of grace. And as I was thinking about this sermon, this topic, a lot of people in the church do serve God out of a place of guilt. Even some things I've alluded to already re regarding the judgment seat of Christ and even this image. This image, by the way, that I, this movie I showed you, Schindler's List, I've seen it used for emotional manipulation in churches as well uh, to basically guilt people into trying to serve the Lord. But the truth of the matter is we don't need guilt, we need grace. We need God's grace to be flowing through our lives so that we serve the Lord from a graceful heart, from a gracious heart. Certainly sin has to be dealt with, and guilt is a real thing. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. But to, to cut to the chase before I get too far, I just want you to know this morning that, that my goal for you as the body of Christ, uh, if you're saved this morning, is to, to leave here today serving God from a place of grace, not a place of guilt. Because that's what's going to open up the, the blessings from God. That's what's really going to, to lubricate the relationships. That's what's going to allow the gospel to go forth. That's what's going to allow the Lord's Supper to take hold in the body of Christ. That's what's going to allow God to really bless um, his church, which is obviously what we all want. So, um, so if you're a child of God, uh, we don't serve God from a place of guilt, but a place of grace. And your guilt was nailed to the cross of Christ. And your sin is as far away as the east is from the west. It is. It's as good as dead, buried. And someday you will resurrect. You will get a new body. You got, you're a new creature in Christ. All those promises are true. So, man, end the sermon. We're ready to go home. Because that's really the, the long and short of it. Nevertheless, some of us still struggle with the memory of past attitudes and actions. And, 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 have con and because those attitudes and actions do have consequences that are still painful in our hearts and our minds. And I pray that I can help you with that today so you can run with patience the race that God has for you, laying aside the weight and sin that does so easily beset you. Now, I, I can speak to this. You're all, you know, we're all in this together. I know what I'm talking about because I'm one of you, right? It doesn't matter uh, what you know about the Word of God, the reality. That's why Paul in Romans 7 is saying, oh, wretched man that I am, right? It's like he's a, a schizophrenic uh, because the flesh, man, it just it wants what it wants. And it's, a, it's definitely a foe. But he's able to differ, differ, differentiate between his flesh and his spirit. And that's so important. So we're going to see three things as we talk about grace over guilt this morning. We're going to look at the goal of guilt, the goodness of God, and the greatness of grace. We're going to start with the goal of guilt. As we've already seen Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now, uh, highlight the word now, no, the blank is condemnation, right, to them that, 
to them which are in uh, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, point A: the goal of guilt is to to reveal those who transgress the law. So, I'm going to be let me warn you: I'm being technical about this. Uh, in our discipleship one lessons, we talk about guilt being bad and conviction being good, and and I'll touch on that as we go as well. But this morning, I'm sorry I'm moving all this out of the way. I'm a little uh, I'm a little particular about my vision here, so I, it's troubling me. All right, so. Uh, so the, I want to be able to look at Bob. That's what it boils down to. Uh, so and Samuel over here. But anyway, so uh, so you know we, when we talk about uh, guilt, sometimes we just kind of write off guilt's bad. Well, let's be let's get technical about guilt. Let's be biblical about guilt, right? So we're going to dive a little deeper on this subject for just a few moments, if you'll indulge me. The goal of guilt is not to, I'm sorry is to reveal those who transgress the law. In a court of law, a soul is found guilty when they have transgressed the law, right? I mean, we all understand that. It's therefore appropriate when someone proclaims uh, they or someone else is guilty of sin. How many times have we all said, they're guilty of sin? We intuitively say that. We don't really always grasp the depth and the magnitude of that statement that we use so commonly. Because, well, sin is the transgression of the law. Uh, in, in 1 John 3, 4, the Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So technically, in a legal sense, guilt is the transgressing of the law. That's what the Bible even says. So with, tra- with the transgressing of the law comes what? Judgment. Yeah. So when we transgress the law, there comes judgment. So the goal of guilt is to communicate to the conscience uh, that we have transgressed the law of God. And of course, if you're in a court of law, it's going to communicate to everybody and, and, the, and the public as well. But for the, for the point of this message, let's all deal with the conscience because we're dealing with our individual issues, not with legal issues. So the word guilt is only mentioned twice in the Bible. Imagine that. It's in Deuteronomy 19.13 and Deuteronomy 21 and verse 19. And it's in the context of innocence, by the way. It's being not guilty. And, and, and so in both cases, it's included uh, by the translators to give a sense of the Hebrew word for blameless. And so basically, it's a, it's a not guilty uh, discussion in Deuteronomy 19.13 and 21 and verse 9. Only two places you find the word guilt. But the word guilty and guiltless, and those words are found many more times. The word guilty is found 20 times in the Old Testament, six times in the New Testament. The first mention of guilty is in Genesis 42 and verse 21, when Joseph's brothers recognized and confessed, confessed that they were guilty in regard to the mistreatment of their brother um, Joseph, right? They're sitting there, and now he's an adult. They don't even know that, that Joseph is, is there in his presence, and they feel like, you know what? Things are going bad in their life. They don't know that actually things are going good. They feel like things are going bad, and you know the first thing they do? They start talking about something that happened many, 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 many years ago that's been on their conscience. How we mistreated our brother. And God's getting even. I've met Christians that they live their whole life waiting for God to drop the hammer on them because they've never dealt with past sin. And they're just, they've got a guilty conscience. They don't really believe what God has said. They don't really believe they're forgiven is what it boils down to. They don't really, I mean, maybe they intellectually believe it. But when things don't go well, they don't feel right, all of a sudden, man, they're back. To, they think God's ready to chop their head off. And they really don't understand the magnitude of God's grace and his atonement. Joseph's brothers, of course, 
They knew they did something bad. They lied to their dad. That was really bad. Uh, they threw their brother in a pit, and then they sold him off. They were going to murder him. I mean, that's pretty bad. And their conscience was convicted. They, and they, by the way, they were guilty. They were guilty. And even after their dad died, you know the story. After their dad died, they were still guilty. They're like, oh, man, he's just waiting for dad to die. Once Pops is gone, he's getting us. And he's like, guys, he's like Jesus, right? You're forgiven, man. It's all good. What, what the devil meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's okay because Joseph is a type of Christ. And so we find the last mention of the word guilty is a very simple and very practical definition of why all men are condemned if measured by the law. And so James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law. And, I mean, you're awesome. You do everything right. But, but one point, you, you offended in one point. He is guilty of all. Right, so Jesus appealed to the principles that would be recorded in James 2 and verse 10 when witnessing uh, uh, the re- to, the, to uh, Nicodemus and sharing about his redemptive power in John chapter 3. This is a familiar passage, but I want to look at it in light of what we're talking about because here's a man who is steeped in the law, a man who actually admires Jesus because he can tell this guy is walking by the law Perhaps he is a teacher come from God. And you know the discussion that unfolds in John chapter 3. When we get to John three sixteen, the familiar passage, uh, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to, here it is, condemn the world. So the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was not a mission of condemnation. Uh, verily, he did not have to come to condemn. The world was condemned already. If God wanted to destroy the earth, he could just do it, and he's completely justified. So he didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So he flips the script here and says, okay, everyone is guilty. We read that in James 2.10. But I'm going to change the, the rules because, well, guess what? I'm the only one that can keep the law, and I'm fixing to do it, right, in historical context. Jesus never broke the law. He fulfilled the law, and he says, now, guess what? The issue is no longer the law. The issue is believing in the one who kept it, which happens to be me. So that is the condition of which one is no longer condemned. And if you don't, if you don't submit to that condition, you are condemned already because the law will slay you. And so he goes on to say, because he that hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the problem. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. At the end of the day, we, we have a love relationship. One with our flesh, and one, hopefully, we have one with God. And we love our flesh. We, we don't want to admit that, but we do. We feed it. We clean it. I mean, we need it. I couldn't get up here and preach today without my carcass. But you know what my carcass tells me? It tells me it wants a lot of things that aren't good for me. My carcass tells me it wants sweet tea. And I love sweet tea. You know, I say I love sweet tea, but the truth is I love Jesus. My flesh loves sweet tea. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to get caught in that, in that, in that, uh, in that dynamic. Why? Because our flesh likes what it likes. And we all understand that. So guilt is not just an emotion, though. Guilt is, is, is a lost man standing before God. 
When we think about guilt, we often, I, I know I default to like an emotional mindset. I even started this message with a lot of emotional overtone. But in reality, when you talk about guilt, it's really not so much about emotion. It's actually a, objectively a black and white issue. You were either guilty or innocent, right? And so in this case, uh, it's really a lost man standing before God. All men will either be judged forgiven and, and clean by the blood of Christ or guilty. And that's it. Case closed. The judge spoke, and that's the Lord Jesus. Now, in Romans 3.19, the Bible says, Now we know that what things uh, soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, don't think that the law is bad. It's the law that, that helped. Without the law, we wouldn't know when we sin. So the law is good, and it's our schoolmaster to lead us under Christ. But Jesus Christ is the one who keeps the law. So today, we have many who are claiming and clamoring, I should say, for justice and promoting uh, injustice. Well, how does that work? How do we clamor for justice and then break the law? That doesn't make any sense. That's nonsense. Well, what that is, is the world. That's the way the world operates. The world doesn't want to be under the law of God. They want to create, they want to be a law unto themselves. But the problem is, there's only one person who's righteous, and that is God. So all the law really resides with God and His Word. And, and you can think whatever you want. You can do whatever you think you want to do. At the end of the day, you will give an account to God Almighty. Period. That's the way it works. Because the only standard for righteousness is, is God. And so, so you cannot demand justice unless you are just. And that's why the, the only Jesus can forgive sin and execute justice on those who refuse grace and goodness. And people routinely will, will accuse God of being unjust. Why didn't he help so-and-so? Why doesn't he take care of the... And they don't even think about the real issue at hand, which is sin. S-I-N. What are you talking about, Jesus isn't... God hasn't moved to help the Africans. you got Christian rock stars running around, di diminishing God's character all over the place, coming out with new articles every week about how all the Christian people don't believe in God anyway. It's all just a sham. I'm like, well, if you don't believe in him, go away and shut up. I mean, all of you quit. Throw down your guitars and your instruments and go back, go, go hang out with Metallica. I don't care. But the reality is, is that, that, that God is true, and he isn't unjust. And there's a reason Jesus died on the cross. And it is so we can carry the gospel and make a difference in this world and see justice come through having a right relationship with God Almighty. That's, how, that's, what, the whole God, that's what the gospel is all about. God does change people from the inside out. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be justice, uh, both socially in a sense of uh, I don't want to see the police go away and, and the people robbing our homes and, and killing everybody with no accountability, right? God ordains even that, Romans chapter 13. And so, uh, so we understand that. The Bible says in Romans 3.26, To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Right? So you are, so, so this is the thing. It, it's, Jesus is the only one who can for, forgive sin and execute justice on those who refuse his grace and goodness. So he is, the, he is just and he is the justifier of all those that believe in him. 
So since no man is justified by the law, uh, because we all fall short, the only man who can actually, the only man who's actually kept the law is Jesus, and he is able to determine that he will justify those who believe on him for their righteousness instead of going about to establish their own righteousness. That is, by the way, what the Bible calls self-righteousness. And so Paul mentioned that his brethren, Israel, were not saved. Now, they had the law, and they knew the law, and they were endeavoring to keep the law. But we know that if they broke it at one point, they were, what, guilty of all, right? So Paul writes, and he says, you know what? I love my brothers. I want them to be saved. And so they went about to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting themselves to Christ, who is the righteousness of God, and the fulfillment of the law. So in Romans 10, this is what Paul says. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Again, exactly what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You might be saved. Uh, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Wait, wait, Wait a minute, Paul. How can they have a zeal for God and have all the law and the prophets and not have a zeal for God according to knowledge? Because they had all the knowledge. They were the knowledge bank. Or so they thought. But Paul goes on to say, This is how, Brian, since you asked the question, I'll give you an answer. Well, thank you, Paul. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness. Well, what do you mean? I thought they believed the law, and the law was righteous. Well, it is. But, keep going after after the comma, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not, here it comes, Submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Oh, well, what is that? Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, you can keep the whole law. You can keep all ten commandments, all six hundred and some commandments. But if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you have missed the point of the law. Because the standard for righteousness is is Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the the person. He is is, Shiloh came forth. Peace has come, and it is Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace, and you submit to him. Oh, okay. And of course, as Paul wrote that, he's making his way to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, and dealing with how hardness of heart, right, and blindness has come upon Israel because they miss their Messiah, Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. Even to this day, uh, in, the, in one of our ABFs this morning, Jeff did a great job of actually dealing with how God is dealing with the nation of Israel on this very subject. There's consequences to rejecting Christ. And yet God in his grace and mercy is restoring them. And that leads me to my next point. God desires uh, we receive his grace. God desires that. If you don't think God wants you to be saved, you're absolutely crazy. You're cotton-picking crazy because God is, is so righteous uh, uh, I hope that wasn't a bad thing to say, but uh, I don't know anymore. Forgive me. I, I have, I'm, God is my witness. I just probably transgressed. I'm guilty. All right. So, uh, but God knows. God knows what I'm saying. So God desires that we receive his grace. He desires that we receive his grace. He, he, he wants us to receive his grace. If not, he wouldn't even offer it. Because we don't deserve it. We don't, we don't, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I mean, we don't deserve grace. But when you're dealing with this kind of guilt, man, grace is the only thing that you, you, you can avail yourself of. And praise God for grace. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. See, God doesn't relish in our unrighteousness. Not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. He didn't relish in, in, in Israel's unrighteousness. They were called out people. As a group, they were called the son. 
And in the Old Testament, he dealt with them as a nation. The New Testament, he deals with us as individuals. And Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, it says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, send them a message. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't have any pleasure in killing wicked people. I mean, God doesn't get a, a thrill out of that. But, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. I would prefer everybody live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Why will you die? Why will you go off the cliff? Why would, why would you? No, don't do that. And all of us that have dealt with addiction. Man, haven't we, haven't we all suffered with that? And watched people literally kill themselves. And we say, why would you die? Why won't you stop? But yet they keep going. And eventually the consequences set in. God knows that we're addicted to sin. And he knows that sin bringeth forth death. And he cries out, why? Why? I don't have any pleasure in destroying the wicked. Would you repent? Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. The Calvinists can't handle that because, you know, they have no ability to turn. But God has given you a free will. He's given you an option. God uses the guilt that we all uh, have before the law to lead us unto Christ. Because God's smarter than the devil. He knows how to show us what we need. And Paul wrote to Galatians, in Galatians 3 and verse 24, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I'll talk a little bit more about faith as time permits. But after that, faith is come, we are no longer under our schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So how do you escape the penalty of the law? Well, you put your faith in the, the one who kept it, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith. You know, today we were going to celebrate baptisms. Every time we have a baptism, man, you know what we're celebrating? We're, we're celebrating the fact that someone came to Christ by faith. Someone believed in Jesus Christ's sufficiency for their sin and trusted him and his finished work alone to save them. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? So grace over guilt. So the goal of guilt, right, it, it's to show us. It's show us that we're condemned. But man, there's also the, the goodness. That's point two, the goodness of God. Now, many of you know Romans chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 2, 1 through 4. You can turn there if you'd like. Therefore, thou art inexcusable. Now, Paul, by the way, Romans 1, you guys know, he lays out really the issues that I just talked about, the conscience, and, uh, and how men are guilty before God just in their own conscience and where that goes. But then he gets to chapter 2, people who actually know the Bible. He goes, For thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for, when thou, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For that thou judgest doeth, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that commit such things. And thankest, this, uh, thankest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance of his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Spoken from a man who was a murderer. A man that understood the goodness of God. A man that had himself come to repentance. He's saying, hey guys, wait a minute. Just because you know all the right answers, you need to make sure you're filled with grace. Who are you to judge? Who are you to get on the high horse and think you're better than anybody else? 
right? As we say, but by the grace of God, there go I. Now, that's not saying we're void of judgment. Obviously, we're to, we're to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking in this sense of, in a legal sense, uh, by the way, if these people are condemned by their conscience, you're condemned by the standards of the law because they knew the law. The Romans knew. Paul was writing uh, to the self-righteous hypocrite who judges others while doing the same things and reminding them that it's the goodness of God that leads them to repentance. So point A, God's goodness is greater than our guilt. God's goodness is greater than our guilt. If we're to find grace over guilt, it's going to come through Christ as he turns sorrow over uh, sin to salvation through faith in his Son. He turns our sorrow, sorrow over sin unto salvation through the grace that's offered through his son, as we put faith in Christ. Many years ago, before I was called to Cass County, I was preaching in a small church out west in, in, uh, in Ellis. I shouldn't have said the town. But anyway, uh, there was a World War II vet there. And, uh, man, this guy would show up on Sunday nights. I, I liked this guy. And, and uh, uh, he had some addiction issues himself, and, was, and he was tied to these things. And, of course, he was self-medicating. And I really liked this guy. He paid attention. He was tracking. He understood what we were talking about. And so he claimed he was lost, and I wanted him to get saved. I built a relationship with him. And, and anyways, I got to know him more and, and talk to him. He opened up to me, and he told me why he would not get saved. Uh, it was because of what he did in World War II. And the particular function that he had in the military was that of interrogating. And uh, without getting into all the details, he did not feel like he de- deserved grace. Well, of course he didn't deserve grace. No one deserves grace. But he had, you know what? He was exactly where the devil wanted him. He was in a, his own jail of condemnation. And my heart was broken because he was under so much condemnation from the things he did in World War II, 50 plus years earlier, that he didn't feel right receiving the grace of God. And he felt like he deserved to die and burn in hell for all of eternity. And you know, the sad truth is he's right. He does. So do I. So do you. We all deserve to die and burn in hell for all, all of eternity. And I would try to tell this guy, well, we all deserve that. But God's grace is bigger than your guilt, man. Would you receive Christ? I ran into people every so often. And, and I, if, I could, if I could get saved for them, you know, as Paul said about Israel, if I could give up my salvation for theirs, I would. But you know what? To receive God's grace, it is ultimately a decision that every individual must make. And I don't know that that man ever made the right decision. And that dear man was exactly where Satan wanted him, buried and drowning in a sea of guilt and shame. He felt condemned because, well, he was condemned. You know, not every sinner that you come across needs to be convinced that they're a sinner. You know that? We'll talk a little bit more about repentance in just a moment. But there's some folks you don't have to preach long on sin. There's some folks that are definitely hardened, like the Pharisees. They don't believe they're sinners. They're self-righteous. A lot of church people are like that, grown up in church, and you never really sincerely get saved. And so, okay, well, definitely, you, you, might, need a, you might need a hammer, and you might need to really think about what sin is. Uh, but there's also a lot of people out there, man, their conscience is so hurt. It's so wounded. They know that they're a sinner. You know what Jude says in Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter, but Jude in verse 21 It says this, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So if God doesn't really excited about taking the wicked and killing them, well, we shouldn't be either. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad there's a death penalty. It's all legal under Romans 13. There are certain individuals that, that need to be executed. I'm all for that. That's still active in the, in the, uh, in the penal code, still from the, from the time of Noah coming off the ark. I'm good with that. But what I would say for you Christians and, and me, it doesn't matter. And I've had this discussion with some that have been co- convicted of capital punishments and, and murders that, that deserve that kind of judgment from a penal perspective. I at least want to share the gospel with them because it really doesn't matter if they lose their physical life. We still should not want to see anybody lose their spiritual life. So what glory and what grace it is that even if a man has to go to the death chamber, if he or, or a woman is born again before they get there, they may still have the consequences of their actions on earth, and that's just. But man, God's grace is still sufficient. and He's able to save their soul for all of eternity and change them from the inside out. And that is something that is uniquely uh, Jesus Christ, right? That God's able to, to give that kind of grace under those type of situations. So Jude goes on to say, And some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is spotted by the flesh. So God is a God of mercy. He, he does, he, it does us no good to know we are sinners if we don't receive Christ as Savior. We need to have discernment when sharing the gospel because some have an acute awareness of sin while others are calloused and have, seer, have a seared conscience. Sometimes folks, uh, like the soldier I witnessed to uh, back in the day on the, on the uh, circuit, are swallowed up with what the Bible calls overmuch sorrow. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7-8, through 8, and it's an important to understand that it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance, as I've already preached. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Now in chapter uh, 1, or I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians, the, the epistle preceding this, there was a point when Paul said, Listen, this man's sin is so grievous, you better kick him out of the church, because not even the, even the lost people know this is a reproach. So don't sit around and say, this is grace, grace unto it, when it's such a, a reproach. No, it's sin. Get it out of the house. But the man did this. The man repented. The man repented. And Paul then turns around without even being there and says, hey, praise God. If he's repented, then guess what? Don't allow him to be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. If he sincerely uh, turned to Christ and, and, and he's confessed his sin and forsaken it, then man, have mercy. Have mercy upon that man. Don't let him be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Right? He means actually, so do something about it. Confirm your love toward him. Make sure that you show love. Man, people need to know their love. That's what the church is here to do. When you come in here and you get saved, we're here to help love on you. Yeah, everyone has a past. You know what? Confess it and forsake it. God has mercy. We're here to love you. That doesn't mean you can do whatever goes when the wind blows, right? There's always consequences. But God's goodness is to have us saved and not leave us in sorrow, point B. Sorrow is the word there. So repentance is a good thing. Repentance is simply a change of heart and mind that produces a change of life. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but sorrow of the world worketh death. And so there's a sorrow that isn't sincere, but there's a sorrow uh, to God that is, is actually, it worketh salvation. Praise God for that. In Matthew chapter 21, in verse 28, the Bible says, But what thank ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented. What did he do? He changed his mind. And you know what? Not only his mind, I'm going to go to work today for my dad. 
So he actually changed the direction he was going, and he went back to work. That was pleasing to God. And so he went, and he changed what he was doing. You know what? Sometimes we need to change. If we continue in sin, that grace may abound. God says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Make a decision, and then make a change. Make a decision and make a change. When we change our heart and our mind, guess who changes our life? Who changes our life? God. We change our heart and our mind, and God changes our life. He does a supernatural work in our hearts. So when we change our heart and mind, God changes our life. So repentance in regard to salvation is a heartfelt reception of the gospel coupled with a decision to believe Christ's claims concerning salvation. So if you think you don't need Jesus as your sacrifice for sin, you need to change your heart and mind about why Jesus died on the cross. Humble yourself and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Believe Jesus has done the work of salvation and receive his love and grace by faith. So God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all men everywhere to repent and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, God doesn't want to destroy anybody. We're already condemned. You need a Savior if you're lost today. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I mean, the church age should have been over two years ago. But God is extending his age of grace. Why? Because there's people that God wants to get saved. There's no reason in the world right now we won't have it moved into Daniel's 70th week other than this. God still wants to offer grace because what's coming, beloved, is a nasty time just around the corner. And while we have opportunity to extend grace, the sole purpose for the church being left on the planet is to extend the grace of God because that's what we do, because that's who we are. God wants all men everywhere to repent and trust Christ Jesus as Savior for sin instead of their own standard of righteousness. So Paul concluded this sermon to the Gentiles on Mars Hill. And the only command that a lost man needs to know is what he said in Acts 17.30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And evidence of a changed heart and mind is seen in our actions. Now when someone truly repents and they're sincere in their heart and mind, their life will change. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians who were obviously saved and born again. And this is what he said about their repentance. He says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's all about worship. When you get saved, you worship Jesus. You worship Jesus. That's, and I don't mean just sing a song. I mean your life is laid down for Christ. You follow him. That's what it's all about. And so our last point, which is good. And you need to get to the good point because grace over guilt is so important. The goal of guilt is condemnation. The goodness of God is repentance unto salvation, but the greatness of grace, oh man, that's what we need to finish on. You don't want to leave without finishing on this. You need a little, you need a little, you need a little sweet topping on top of that, that sermon cake. So James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, but, but he, giveth, he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the hum- humble. You want to get grace today? How many of you want some grace? Man, I want some grace. More, give me more grace, right? Well, listen, all we got, it's the formulas right here. Then just humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Man, even in the Old Testament, grace is available to people who will humble, humble themselves before God. God has more grace than we have sin. Hallelujah. You say, man, Brian, but I'm a, but I'm a, but, but, but what? You don't have more sin than God has grace. You just don't. I, that came to my, my understanding when I was preaching at the City Union Mission. And, and just, it's just a cesspool of sin, man. And I'm swimming around in it every week, dealing with it. Dealing with myself like Romans, you know, seven. And man, somewhere along the line, God just said, hey, Brian, guess what? 
I got more grace. I got more grace than their sin. I got more grace than the devil has, has whatever he's bringing to this thing. And man, what confidence that gives you as a preacher of the gospel. When you know you stand up and it looks like the devil's won, but you're just like, no, he hasn't won anything because God has more grace. He resists the proud, yes, but he gives grace to the humble. So you just start preaching to the humble heart. Who's going to have a humble heart? Because the humble heart gets the grace. So once we're saved, we're a new creature. God has more grace than we've got sin. If you believe your sin is greater than God's grace, then you do underestimate the power of God's love and grace and the sufficiency of his sacrifice for sin. And don't, don't diminish the cross. Don't diminish the sacrifice for sin because once we're saved, we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. We're children of God. We're heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ. We are his children. We are priests. We are kings. We are servants of the Most High God. We have a new identity in Christ. And beloved, listen to me, it's that of grace. So, beloved, guess who should have grace? Oh, yeah, we should. It's part of our new DNA. But the adversary doesn't want you to know that. He wants to keep accusing you because he's accused you for so long. You kind of buy into that. Day by day, night by night, he's an accuser of the brethren, night and day. If you don't embrace your new identity in Christ, you won't renew your mind because you're going to believe him. And before long, you're going to act on his word instead of the word of God. And as God has intended, God has intentions for you. And he wants you to do what it is he's called you to do. But before you can do that, you've got to believe what he says about you. And allow that not to d- diminish. Your, you, gotta, you cannot allow the devil to diminish the impact of your inheritance. Because what we just watched with Oscar Schindler, it's not about money, but it is about souls. And man, I don't want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Even this morning as I preached this message, I prayed over this. I'm like, Lord, I want to do justice to this topic. I don't have enough time to do justice to it. But in the time I have, Lord, man, I pray that we have the grace to preach the gospel as we ought to preach. And we don't go to heaven and get there and go, oh, man, I wasted so many hours. I wasted so many days. I wasted so many opportunities. Would to God we would, God would cover our lives with grace and we would allow him through, by his grace to maximize even our mistakes for the glory of God. Because even when you fumble the ball, God can get a win if you understand his grace. Because God is for you, not against you. God has more grace than you have sin. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're struggling with regret and you feel guilty. Even though you know Christ has already paid for your sin and forgiven you. You, you, you might be saying, man, this thing is messed up. I am hurting. And your mind says one thing, but your heart says another. You, you know, well, the Bible's right. I know it's right, but in your heart, your emotions are lying to you. See, you're born again. I'm talking to the saved people, but you still think you're condemned. Well, no, you're not guilty anymore because Jesus Christ was judged guilty for you on the cross. You've got to believe that by faith. You're not guilty, and so quit acting guilty. And by the way, don't be guilty. Don't continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. Avail yourself of his power. God is greater than your heart. First John says that in, in verse 18, in chapter 3 and verse 18, my, ch- my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us, then we have not confidence toward God. Your heart, you know what? If our heart's condemning us all the time and we're under a shroud of guilt, you know whose problem that is? Well, that's my problem. Well, it is your problem, but it's your problem because you don't have confidence in God. Confidence in God's ability to cleanse you from sin. And so quit continuing in sin, of course. That, that's a big deal. Don't do that. That won't help. But avail yourself of his power. Avail yourself of his grace. Avail yourself of his character. 
of his nature. Renew your mind and your heart. In Roman, I don't have time to get into it. But when you go back through Romans 8, that's what Paul says. You know what? Make sure your mind and your heart are where it needs to be. Your feet will follow. Because there's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God. Point A, guilt can only be conquered by God's grace. Guilt can only be conquered by God's grace. Guilt versus conviction. In our discipleship lessons, we make a very distinct point that the ch- to the child of God. Guilt is from the world and the flesh and the devil, and conviction is from God. So if you're having a hard time forgiving yourself for things God has already forgiven you for, <clears throat> you need to consider God's character. God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. He is much higher than yours. And his grace, his grace Paul said, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, is sufficient. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And point B, grace prevails through faith. Don't leave out faith because access to grace comes through faith, right? I said humility. Humility is part of that, but it's faith. Faith in what God says and not how we feel. Grace is, will certainly impact your heart, and, will, and it will also impact your emotions, but it starts by faith. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You don't have to hope you're saved. You are saved because the Word of God says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no mites about it. There's no hopes about it. It happens when you humble yourself before God and call upon His name. And so believe what God has said about sin. Jesus' ability to obliterate it and His sacrifice on the cross and God's love and goodness for you by faith, and you will find relief from the nagging guilt and shame that you cannot be forgiven. And that's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works at all. We're saved by Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross, but we're saved unto good works. When we believe what Jesus says about who he is, and we trust him by faith, guess what? He changes us from the inside out and gives us capacity to walk a different walk. So there are many practical examples we can look to in the Old Testament. Number one I'll give you is Moses. He was born a prince in Egypt, and Hebrews says that he sided with God and his people, but but tried to deliver God's people in his own strength. That was a mess up. That was a fumble, uh, you know, on the goal line. He he killed an Egyptian. He fled as a capital murderer. It looked like a failure. For 40 years, he he himself personally wandered in the wilderness as a shepherd, went from a priest to a shepherd. Talk about being swallowed up with sorrow. Nevertheless, one day God's people prayed, and and you know what God says? You know what I want to use? Oh, I'm going to use Moses, because you know what? He's finally humble enough to receive my instruction, <laughs> and so he uses Moses. And Moses goes back in, of course, and you know the story. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 17, the Lord said unto Moses, "I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name." You know, Moses had no confidence by the time he went. He started all full of himself. Man, he's murdering people in his own power. He comes back in like, man, I can't even speak. I'm not the right guy for this. God says, no, you're exactly the right guy because I give grace unto the humble. And these people need grace. They're going to need a lot of grace to get from the wilderness of sin to the promised land. Boy, isn't that the truth. Genesis 6, 8. You know, another Old Testament figure, Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not because he did anything to earn it, but because God is good and wanted to preserve his seed. The sons of the prostitute, the uh, uh, Japheth, uh, Jephthah, I'm sorry, the son of a prostitute during the time of Judges, scorned by the, his Israeli brothers until it was found that he was very valuable as a military leader against the Ammonites. You know what Jephthah did? After a great military victory, he comes and he makes a stupid, foolish vow. And he says, the first thing I see when I get home, I'm going to slay I'm going to offer it to God as a sacrifice. 
and he sees his daughter. Oh, that's a bonehead mistake. And he didn't have enough sense to, to deal with the foolish vow. Leviticus 5, 4 through 7. So, man, he's obviously not someone that God would put in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. You know what? God even uses knuckleheads. And he says, yeah, Jephthah. I don't have time to talk about Jephthah. God still had Jephthah as one of the heroes of the faith, even though he did some dumb things. Maybe he made some dumb mistakes. Well, quit it because you can. And keep walking with God while you got breath. Paul, man, take, talk about Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, a man who was given the privilege of stewarding this dispensation that we're wrapping up, the dispensation of grace, was himself responsible for the murder of Stephen, the deacon at Jerusalem. And God calls him and saves him, and he never forgot the grace that was bestowed upon him. And he gave that grace to the Gentiles, to Israel, and the kings. God gives us grace. Why? I'm glad you asked. Why did God give us so much grace? Because he wants you to give grace. God gives you grace so you can give it to other people. So overcome guilt by growing in grace. Man, maybe this morning you're dealing with guilt. Well, the problem isn't guilt. The problem is grace. We need to grow in grace. Sometimes we can, we, we can serve, out, serve out of obligation and even guilt. And it's important to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so we can serve God with a gracious heart and not with a guilty heart. Man, beloved of God, if you're in this church and you're serving God out of a guilty heart, stop it. Serve God out of a gracious heart, a gracious heart. We can never repay Christ for his love for us. You're never going to do it. So we serve him out of love, not out of debt. For we can never repay Christ for the gift of Christ, and we could never do it other than by the gift of grace. He's given us grace so we can give it back. Second Peter 3.18 says, But now, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I can remember Walt Cundiff, one of my favorite grace stewards, man. That man was a grace giver. Why? Because he was a grace receiver. But he wasn't always that way. He read a book one time by Chuck Swindoll called, the, I forget the name of it, about grace. You remember? Grace Awakening. And he read The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. And it changed his life. And all of us know Walt is a super gracious saint. But you know what? He grew in grace. And we can all grow in grace. And so, not only can we grow in grace, the Bible tells us that we can be strong in grace. Overcome guilt by being strong in grace. Second Timothy, Paul is singing his, song, uh, his swan song to his son in the Lord. And he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Man, be strong in not his own grace, but the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do you avail yourself of grace? Well, you don't have it in yourself, but you do have Christ in you. Right? So you have to walk in the Spirit. I have to walk in the Spirit. Grow strong in grace so others can be free uh, from the condemnation of sin and death. God's grace overcomes the guilt of sin and the shame and delivers God's saints blameless and harmless before the throne of God. And last but not least, if you want no regrets at the judgment seat of Christ, we need to live a life filled with grace, not guilt. We need to live a life filled with grace, not guilt. If you're under the condemnation of guilt this morning, you know what? God wants to bring forgiveness that's transformative. He wants you to be transformed. He wants you to be set apart and sanctified. Positionally, you're already there. You're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But practically, it's understanding grace that helps you overcome the daily grind and the guilt and the place where you're so pinned down that the devil will not allow you to go forward. Well, quit that and stand up in God's word and go forward in grace.
Many today are burdened with sin because they, they have not received Jesus as their sacrifice for sin. Others have been redeemed, uh, but they need to remember who they are in Christ so they can take advantage of God's grace and give it to others within their sphere of influence. Will you do that today? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your word that is